the Behind the Seams podcast. I'm your host, Nunzio Signore, looking to bring you great dialogue with some of the best in the world of player development. The world of training baseball players has changed dramatically during the past few years, and I'm looking forward to shedding some light here on what's the latest, what's the best, and what's really happening in the world of player development. Thanks for joining me for the ride. Thanks for tuning in to today's podcast. Before we begin, I want to tell you about our new remote training programs here at RPP. We've been offering remote training for quite some time, but we always required athletes to come in-house for assessments. Now, we can do the whole assessment online, and we're really excited about bringing all of our services, pitching, hitting, and strength training, to your doorstep. So if you like what we do and how we do it, check it out on our website at rocklandpeakperformance.com under remote training in the toolbar. Thanks. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Behind the Seams Podcast. I'm Nunzio Signori, and today we're going to do another best of 22 due to the fact that I'm in State College PA coming to you live from my hotel room, where tomorrow I'm actually speaking to the kinesiology department and visiting Coach Gambino and the baseball team. We got such a great response last time from doing these best of 2022s that I figured this was a perfect time to do it again. First up is my good buddy, Corey Mascara, pitching coach at Wake Forest, talking about coaching at Wake and using one of the most cutting edge pitching labs in baseball. I then asked him, what are his non-negotiables for his pitchers on day one? Here's Corey Mascara. 14 years ago, or maybe 12 years ago, um, I can remember that my facility was one of the first facilities after driveline, I believe, that I knew of that was using technology, was using video analysis, was using Rapsida, was using all these things. And I remember you coming to my uh, coming to my facility for a seminar and we were talking and we were talking and we were talking. And you just said to me, you know, this is like one of the first facilities, uh, you know, that I've coached at that had these resources. Right. So you were you were what I admired about you was that you really knew what you were talking about from just a pure coaching and visual aspect. And I really, really respected that. What I really thought was funny was, is that the technology was so new that you and some of your cronies that were, you were with, were yeah, I, was also- with Phil, I was with Phil Kandari. I remember it clear as day. We were on a, we were on a panel. It was me and Phil. On, right, right. Phil was like a hundred times better pitching coach than I was. I, I was like twelve <laughs> years old in the game at the time. And I was yeah, like, I, and you I were remember. like, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but if he does do this, yeah, but yeah. And so then Mike McFerrin calls me the other a couple of weeks ago or a month ago and asks me to speak at the bridge seminar, and I said, yo. How's Corey doing with over there with all the technology? He said, dude, he friggin' loves it. It's like, he just loves it. I'm like, it's so funny. I said, I'm going to bust his balls when I get there that he ends up at like prop. You not only went into technology, you went to one of the schools that has like the most, right? So it's it's like, but it's great. And we're going to talk, we're going to talk about some of those things, but I will, I will defend you in this. Um, your ability to speak the game and the mechanics of everything I feel is because you came up without technology and your ability to now blend it. Um, 
the guys that don't want to blend it, man, I'm sorry. The guys that don't want to blend it, they're just, you know what? They're either scared or they're they're just really they're 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 cutting their nose despite their face. Do you agree? Yeah, it's like <laughs> having all this stuff is like a cheat code when you're playing a video game. Exactly. You know, it's like everybody's trying to get that cheat code, you know, like it's like we were playing Mortal Kombat in the day and you wanted to have that sick fatality. So you had to get the cheat code. Like that's what this is. It's cheat codes. And, and you know, and you know, sometimes like, okay, listen, I see, I know what I'm seeing with my eyes and I can feel it in my gut. So I'm not even going to pay attention what that's telling me right now. And you know, when to turn it on and when to turn it off and when to use it and when not. And I think that, you know, Newer pitching coaches don't have the ability to do that because they've only dealt with coaching in with 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 all this uh, paraphernalia. But I mean, you, the old the older pitching coach got uh, more experienced guys. You have the ability to take it and, you know, you can weigh it on the scale and, and figure out what you want to do with it. So uh, kudos to you for, uh, you know, embracing that. And um, I mean, this is by the way, this is more compliments that I've received in like maybe six months. So I don't this know if a, I can handle anymore. Dude, this I might is not a, be able to this deal is, with the rest of this podcast. If this I is a, no, because so. now we're going to put you, now we're going to just ask you questions. You know, I just had to, I had to make you feel comfortable, which uh, is like I'm, I'm, not hard, not, not hard to do. When have you never seen me not comfortable? <laughs> I mean, come on. Like if we're talking baseball, this is like my happy place. Exactly. So, so let's talk some baseball. You, you talked about some of the things that are not, I've heard you say it at, at the seminar that are not okay for new recruits showing up. You talked about leg times. You talked about different things. Can you talk about that a little bit for your freshman guys showing up? What is not okay for new, new recruits showing up on day one? Yeah. So look, it, for me, I call them the non-negotiables, right? Like these are the absolutes. Okay. And the reality of it is, is we can have guys that have really great stuff, but if they can't, manage the game it's really tough to win in college okay and what i mean by that is like if you tip all your pitches so you have a tell right like your gloves open you're showing everybody what you're throwing maybe your elbow wiggles every time you throw a pitch or you come set at a certain double set whatever it may be um you know your finger sticks out of the glove on a certain pitch if you have these tells you're telling the rest of the team all the other teams what you're throwing and nowadays there's so much video in college baseball. When I came up, again, I feel like a dinosaur. I'm not even that old, but I feel like a dinosaur with how much this game has changed. When I first started, there was no video. Like, if you wanted to watch a team on video, um, you had to literally, like, VHS a game that was on, like, Fox Sports Net, and you had to be lucky enough to know that they were playing at that time, sit there with a recorder, tape it, and maybe you'd get a game. Maybe. And I, mean, I think in my first five all, all five years at St. John's, I maybe saw two games on video before we played somebody. Now we have synergy and every pitch is, is documented, recorded, yeah. we have true media. Like I can filter through anything I want to. So like I'm watching 35, 40 hours of video a week. So with that, we can pick apart tells. So like if you're doing something, we're, we're gonna know. Like we're gonna go in the game like fastball and we're gonna call it. You know, the whole all of college baseball does that. It's the same thing with the signs. That's why you see everybody with the wristbands now, because with the advent of synergy, all college baseball teams could sit there all week with managers and stuff like that and decode everybody's signs. So when they get on second base, they would know everybody's sign packages. And if you weren't like incessantly changing your sign packages, you're going to get taken, you know, um, so many other things like that. Right. So for me, I look at it like this way. If our objective is to win baseball games, we need to control the variables that are controllable. 
right? What is controllable that doesn't take talent? Controlling the running game, okay? If we can keep the runner at first base, then we leave the double play in order. We have more out opportunities. And no matter what our stuff is, if the guy's not in scoring position, we have a better chance to, to prevent runs and win baseball games. Right. And a lot of people think, like, oh, if you worry about your leg time, like you're going to sacrifice stuff. That's not true. I have a lot of data points to show that. So what we do is like we figure out like where's like and the the actually the irony here is this nuts. If you really pay attention to leg times a lot, you'll actually start to find kind of that happy place if you have a stopwatch. I got this from Ed Blankmeyer, my mentor. He's like the Yoda of baseball, but he would have me have a stopwatch all the time. And you'll start to find like certain guys in their delivery, they have a leg time that like usually gives them better stuff. You know, and, and usually it's faster, believe it or not. Very rarely do you see a guy that like leg time slower, their stuff's not as good. Right. Well, I, I, absolutely. Because of their stretch shortening cycles is, is being used. No doubt. And so for like, we had a kid last year, our, our midweek starter, like he was not great with leg times. He'd be like a one, four, one, four, five, which is higher than I like. And every time he was a one, four, one, four, five with nobody on base. Cause he only pitched out of the stretch. With nobody on base, he'd be like a one four one four five, and he wasn't any good. And every time guys got on base, he'd be good. So finally, I was like, dude, like, do you ever think that like your stuff's just better and you're more yeah. on time when you're just pretend there's somebody on base? <laughs> yeah. And so what I started doing in the warmups is I started timing his leg times, and I had him in warmups going into a game be a one two, and he pitched great the rest of the year. And even now to this day, he'll be like, hey, what's my leg time? Like he actually cares because he knows he's synced up and his stuff's better that way. So we we, we make a big deal about leg times holds. Okay, like making sure guys can vary their holds, not tipping pitches, you know, concealing the ball in the glove. Those are absolutes. Time between pitches is an absolute for us. Um, I believe that the the, the hitter pitcher conflict, um, that's what I call it. We call it conflict here. You know, it's like a, it's a fight. Right. So um, we want to create adversity in that conflict. Right. So if we can make guys go faster. That's advantage us. If we can slow them down. Advantage us. We're the maestros, right? So we want to be able to dictate timing and tempo, right? Tempo. So we, we train it all the time to the point, like every single bullpen we have here, we, we track time between pitches. And now, you know, in college baseball, there's a 20 second uh, clock between pitches. And I tell my guys, like, if that thing hits 14, I'm not happy. You know, like we want to try to throw pitches every 11 to 12 seconds. In certain circumstances, we want to slow them down, but that's by, that's on purpose, you know? Make sure you're training your guys power-wise. Make sure you're giving them those breaks in between, those 12, 14 seconds instead of 40. Like a lot of guys, I give 30-second breaks because that's generally where they pitch. But, you know, the 20-second rule, and if you want them at 14, um, having them produce power in the weight room, uh, giving, giving, giving them those short, when it gets close to the season like this, um, giving them those short breaks, 15 second breaks. If you, if you want them at 15 seconds, giving them 15 second breaks between explosive jumps or hydens or, or anything gets them to be able to their energy system, to be able to um, get their capacity and produce power with less break. That's awesome. I never really thought about it from that. I mean, I do do that with all of our throwing. Like I'm pretty obsessed with it and everything we do in throwing um, but I've never thought about it from the weight room. Which yeah, because it's neuromuscular. The, 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 a lot of it is the break. Like a lot of it is the, 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 the motor reflex of the brain. So whether they're lifting weights or they're jumping or they're sprinting or they're doing anything, um, if they're doing it for a really short time, eight seconds, five seconds, um, you know, doing it in the weight room, it just starts to remap the motor pattern of the body and it will it will show itself in it, 
you know, on the mound. They won't get, they won't gas out in the third inning. A guy's Vila starts to go down. That means he's not adapting to the 14 seconds that you're looking for. I love it. Makes perfect sense to me. That's awesome. like, I think that's one of the things that I don't know. I don't, I don't know how or why, but like whenever someone has new information, I'm always one to like, you know, obviously you got to vet it a little bit, but I'm always more on the willingness to try new things than I am to, to be like, no, it doesn't work. And I think they're that's just, why I've been able you're to just making, to, you're making them a better athlete. Basically. That's all you're really doing. Yeah. Is, it makes you know, perfect sense. They're not gassing out. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, so let me, let me backtrack because we kind of got off track there. So the non-negotiables are leg times, concealing pitches, being able to control holds, time between pitches, being able to defend your pit, being able to defend your position. And simply put, I don't talk a lot about throwing strikes. I talk a lot about making swing decisions, which is obviously throwing strikes. So, um, but I I remap it because I don't want like people, I want people to be aggressive, right? And you could throw a really quality pitch. It's not a strike, but it it can induce a swing decision. And many times that's better. So I talk a lot about swing decisions. Those are my absolutes. If you can't do those things, then you're not functional. It doesn't look stuff matters, right? I'm not one of those old school dudes that like, we don't want stuff. Like that's not true. Everybody wants stuff. We need stuff. However, you can have all the stuff in the world, but if you can't do those things, it's not usable. Next up was the great Jerry Weinstein. Jerry is such a plethora of knowledge. It's always great to talk to him. I first asked Jerry about the continued fall of MLB hitting averages and what he feels can help reverse that trend. Here's Jerry Weinstein. Major League Baseball hitting averages are continuing their downward path. Uh, I can only assume most of this is due to the rising velocities and some perhaps from better ball movement getting created with all the new tech. Do you see anything on the hitting side that you feel can help reverse this trend? Well, we're developing some better tools so that we can so that we can train more specifically towards the demands and complexity of, of a very chaotic game. Uh, I think, and I guess what I'm talking about is that uh, you, the new pitching machines and, and the programmable machines that that pretty much replicate the actual ball flight in in the course of a game and. Uh, you know, certainly there's some variable randomness to it. It's not like, hey, every two and old count, this guy's going to throw you a four-seam fastball with the, this kind of induced vertical break or whatever. But I think we have better training tools, number one. Number two, I think, and we're not there yet, uh, our, it's become a power game on the mound, but it's become a, a power game in the batter's box. And we're so in love with on-base percentage because this is what the analysts are telling us, that game is driven by slug. And now our eyes tell us, well, well, say, for instance, a guy has 600 plate appearances and he hits 30 home runs. That's that's pretty good power. Right. OK. But for every 100, 95 at bats, he ain't hitting a home run. What are you doing the other 95 at bats to help your team win a game? And I think that we're adverse to making two strike adjustments, whether they're physical or mental. Uh, it's become an all or nothing approach. And we're artificially trying to create ball flight. And, uh, I think that, uh, <clears throat> I think it, I think it'd be interesting and it'd be quite a seat change and, and quite a gamble for say for a team. Hey, now we're going to, we're going to, we're going to be more athletic because more athleticism produces better defense. 
and defense comes to the ballpark every day and speed comes to the ball. So it become more of a speed defense with a sprinkling of the power, but go more speed defense and put more. And especially with some of the new experimental, uh, and I'm rambling here. You asked me how to make, no, it's good. what time it was. I'm telling you how to make the watch, but uh, in the, uh, in the minor league, some of these experimental rules with a two pick max with, with the, with the uh, timer, the pitch timer, that's going to be huge. If, if either one of those get to the big leagues with the bigger bases, now the, the, the Cardinals of the 80s, uh, uh, the go-go socks, those types of things, it, it, we have a very kind of a very sterile type game right now. It's just go up there and swing from your ass and, and try and lift the ball and, and you, know, you swing and miss, you swing and miss, and, and maybe we'll get back to more of a athletic force the issue uh, execution. I mean, when's the last time you saw a, a true hit and run in a baseball game? Right. I mean, a true, not just some guy running and the other guy swinging the bat where a guy's trying to create uh, yeah. a ground ball out of the middle with a guy. A chess match. Yeah, a chess match. You know, I mean, and so it's really playing defense, even though everything's happening faster now. Uh, playing defense is pretty predictable, but when things start getting a little bit more chaotic on the on the uh, offensive side with delay steals, reading more balls in the dirt, uh, going from first to third, stealing third, stealing bases. We have to change the rule because guys refuse to learn how to hit the ball the other way when guys are playing shifts or refuse to bunt the ball. Uh, you know, that, that becomes a wasted at bat, which is ridiculous. You know, that's a battle. You can see how I feel about this, but. Yeah, uh, we have to be we have to be willing to change our offensive philosophy uh, and it'll make for a much more viewer friendly game, more diverse, more exciting. I then asked Jerry, how big of a role does he feel he plays in developing a player's routine and how much does he make sure he's getting from his players on their own? Here's Jerry. So how do you help these guys um, develop their routines? How big of a role do you play? How much input actually comes from you and how much originates from the athlete? Well, everything you do is a collaborative effort. You know, a sermon from the mountain, you know, if you catch yourself saying, hey, you got to do this and you can't do that, uh, it doesn't work. And like I, when I deal with guys, says, well, every time I ask you a question, you ask me a question. And I said, yeah, because it's about you. It's not about me. I don't know. <laughs> the inner workings of your brain or your body. we got to find out uh, what works best for you. And, and we're trying to uh, routines. We're trying to get routines that, that help you perform better and not just eyewash routines and make it look good that your preparation is good. And sometimes and we're trying to reduce routines down to the smallest common denominator. We don't want, we don't want the athlete driven by his routine. I was a, uh, we used to have a, a, a little uh, get together every year with Ken Rabiza and he used to bring in the top sports guys, guys in, in the world. And he brought a guy in from North Carolina uh, who worked at the University of North Carolina, worked with a basketball team, but worked with a golf team. And matter of fact, he taught uh, Michael Jordan how to play golf. And, and so he's coaching the golf team and, and the golf coaches, uh, uh, he's a sports side guy for the golf team. And, mental skills and and they're in the NCAA tournament and this guy gets up to a very important putt and uh, takes his three practice swings, his last practice swing. He scuffs the, the turf and steps up and puts the ball, misses the putt. And the next day he says, he says, why did you do that? He says, your last stroke was bad. He says, Oh, well, that's what I do. That's my routine. And so again, <laughs> you got to be careful that 
the routine is not in control of you, that you're in control of your routine. And finally, we're going to get a couple gems from Jeremy Sheetinger. Coach Sheets, first thing we did was we talked about breaking through egos with young athletes and helping them get out of their shells and ultimately out of their own way. Here's Coach Sheets. Do you think that it's a lot easier to get outside and get on that spaceship and look down as you get older? Do you think this is something that life experiences um, help you? They kind of beat you to a pulp a little bit to the point that make you have to do that. Whereas when you're young, mm. I look at these kids when they walk in and I can see these great athletes that I have a lot of great athletes in here, but I can see by the way they walk and the way they carry themselves. They're so inside their head okay. that they, that they yeah. can't get out. I think the ego is involved. And you have to help them break through that ego. Now, you and I have had definitely moments in our life where the ego's led at the forefront, and then we've learned how to control it and then how to die to it and how to pull it back and then let us be selfless out in front as opposed to ego-driven. I think, as you well know, that 16, 17, 18, up to 22, 23, 25-year-old kid, he's consumed by the world he sees. And he only sees it through his two eyes. I think we've learned, and you do with experience, you learn how to see things through your own two eyes, almost like your GoPro view. But I also know what the view looks like from the camera well and over the third base dugout. I can see how I, when I walk out and greet a guy, when I go hug a player, when I have a conversation, I can see what that would look like. I can see from every perspective how that would go or should look or should sound. And I think most often younger guys, the ones that we all deal with, they don't have that. The ego is in front of it. And so yeah, it's incredibly tough. I was actually, it's so funny. I got a coaching group that we share a lot of really cool thoughts here. I literally wrote in the group because we were talking about a similar subject. And I said, the ability to detach from your own thoughts, from uh, the world, from the way that you try to see your place in that world, that's a superpower. And you so, don't just wake, you don't wake up and have it. You have to work on it. So how do I, as a, as a, owner of a private sector training facility. I see my guys every day like you do. I see, yeah. It's not like I never, I, I'm seeing a guy once a week. They come in here sure. four or five days a week, right? Yeah. So as a guy who sees young athletes and works on their inner workings of their inner self, how what can I do as a strength and conditioning coach in this facility? What can I start to do um, that's just like, you know, level one to help mm -hmm. these guys get out of their shell a little bit? Well, back to self-awareness, right? So I think you can start to have, as I know you do, in their their investment conversations. So let me let me hit you with a personal development question. Has nothing to do with how much you're getting ready to squat. Mm -hmm. And when they start to get that side of you, they're like, "Oh, this, this dude cares about me, care level, right?" There's that he cares care about, level. He cares about me way past you know how much weight I throw up. And I think the more that you you know, ask questions that force them. And that's what we we'll do with our guys. We force them to get off the rail. We force them to detach. How would that look? Let me let me ask it or say it a different way. Hey, what would a positive force in our weight room look like? If you had a dude that walked in right now and you sat on this bench and you watched him walk through our facility and he was a positive force. I can tell you, I could tell you what I would see in a guy like the guys that do have that. Yeah. The first thing they do is they say hello to everyone. That that's so the guy you're trying to change. Yes. When he says that you go, then why can't you be that guy? Can you get right. out of your own way and you be that guy and within your own personality? I just had this conversation with my son three hours ago, driving to the office. There's going to be a, one of our coaches there. 
And I know you're shy and I love you to death, and you're, but you're a sweetheart and people love to say hi to you. You have to start saying hi back. You can't hide behind my leg and go to shy mode. And what's the first, he walks in, he goes, what's up coach top. And I went, that's it. You just got to get out of your own way. You can still be shy in your own personality, but you have to recognize this is an important piece of living life. Life, this is it. You got to communicate. He's seven years old. We're still trying to figure that out. You know, my my daughter, since she's been 15, um, she's a good student. She's not an unbelievable student, yeah. but she's doing great in college. And I told her since she's 15 years old, it's great. You're starting at seven. Sure. I said, listen, I'm just going to tell you the most important thing in life, other than being honest, yeah. is to learn how to be social and yes. how to read the room. Yes. You gotta yes. be able, you know what? There's gonna be bad energy when you walk in a room and you either try to change that or you stay really clear of it and you hang out with the people that are gonna recognize that in you. And when you can do that, you're oh. gonna it, it it you could have a 4.0 in college, you could be you could you could know everything there is, but you know what? Life experience and being able to read the room and make people you, you got if you walk in with an S on your chest. Mm -hmm. right? Ego, you're going to make everybody else feel small about themselves. And people yep. do not want to feel like that. They you got to gravitate. You got to be Clark Kent, not Superman. Oh gosh. All right. So no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a uh, look, go to Amazon and go get emotional intelligence 2.0. It's a phenomenal book. Now I took these classes in college. It's something I speak at a lot of different coaching clinics. I'm speaking on it here in a couple of weeks that this is like the missing ingredient of social intelligence. And lastly, let's listen to Coach Sheets talk about attacking your weak points to help develop what he refers to as your best version of you. The battle we're fighting every day, mm. you versus the best version of you. You spoke yep. about attacking the weak points. What are some good methods to help somebody even recognize what those weak points are? That's a great question. I think start with this. Um, what scares you? Like that's a weak point. If it scares you, if it brings up fear, if it creates doubt, hey, I need you to go speak on this. And you go, oh, I don't know. Well, that's a weak point. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, obviously studies that have been done and, and opinions on this. But I, I sort of live on the fence on this one. Like some people say, hey, it's a weak point. Ignore it and just accentuate your strengths. And then there's obviously the other side that say, nah, dive in there and build up those weak points. And now you're a, you're the better average of yourself. I think I think you, you do have to dive in. I think you, no one wants a, a true weak point. I, I just can't do that. Now I've got one, and I just thought about it when I said that is math. I, I'm I got math anxiety to the core, and if there's a math issue, I deflect. And what I've started to recognize is I'm not dumb. I do know math. I just don't like that feeling, and I have to dive. I have to walk towards it. I have to find those moments. You know what? I, I'll I'll keep the score of spades. I'll do it. <laughs> you know, because right. but but I can't just keep it. So if it scares you, sometimes you got to lean into it. Lean into that discomfort. The other thing is, you know, how to discover what a weak point is. What do you have a track record of not doing well at? There's your weak point it's screaming at you. It's just it, you, you try to blind yourself and go, ah, it's no big deal. No, you're not very good at that. The track record says every time that that, that comes up, you're not very good. And the other part, which, you know, a lot of us are, are scared to do is ask someone that you trust their advice. You value their opinion. I think sit down with them and have a true. um completely defenseless, open to criticism, open to correction, let your guard down conversation and go, I want you to critique me I, from your perspective. What am I good at? 
What am I not very good at? I do this with my assistant coaches all the time, man. And I, and again, I think self-deprecating humor and self-deprecating conversations, there's value in that. Like sometimes it can, break, it can break ice, but brother, it can also break down walls. And I think when you're willing to outwardly say, I don't know, I'm not very good at that. Hey, you're actually really good at that. So I want to make sure that you get a chance to do that. I think it's the ability to now you've broken down walls where there's no more barriers of, of like you said, the the S on the chest. Yep. Nah, dude, we're all Clark Kent's, man. We're all good at stuff. We're all not very good at stuff. Let's get into, you know, what, what, what can I be better at? When you're willing to do that, there's some power in it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Best of 22 Part 2. Uh, please forgive the uh, sound quality of my uh, MCing, but I'm in a hotel room doing the best I can. We'll be back in the studio next week. So please Enjoy the podcast and stay tuned for another episode of Behind the Scenes Podcast. Have a great day.